says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to break down the week that was in the NRL, as well as all the news that's happening in the code of my good mates, 60s and Clint. Fellas, good to have you on. And 60s, it's not been so long since we last recorded, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's, it seems like only yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Clint, how are you doing, mate? I'm feeling absolutely top-notch after a really great performance um, from our side yesterday, gents. It, it, you know, it, it wasn't perfect, but we um, we managed to get the job done. So uh, right in the high of a win and hoping that we can uh, do the same going into this weekend. And, John, just before we get into uh, thanking our sponsors and, and hitting our news team, Stinger, uh, if we can get, just give a quick shout-out to our good mate, Rob, uh, Rob has um, obviously he's had a, a, a tough time with the passing of his mother, and uh, he's he's much loved by everyone on the on the Cumberland throws. So we just uh, want to send out our our uh, wishes to uh, to Rob, and we'll see him on Saturday. Well said, mate. Well said. All right, so let's shout out our sponsors, like you mentioned, Sixties, and that's obviously Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and Star Partners, Norellan, Auburn, and Parramatta. Help and make the tip sheet happen each and every episode. Each and every episode. There we go. Got there. Uh, but for now, let's get into the news. News team, assemble! Yes, fellas, it's... Uh only 24 hours since the Bulldogs match our, uh, a, a great victory anytime you have a win over the Bulldogs it, we're always happy about that but what's our takes now on where both teams are at? Uh, Clint, I'm going to throw to you first of all, first of all your takes on the Bulldogs and where they're at and uh, also where our mighty Eels sit yeah, the Bulldogs are in a bit of a precarious position at the moment. It was interesting through the coverage of the game yesterday, the Fox Sports commentators citing that they believe that the Bulldogs should be probably sitting a bit higher with the talent uh, at their disposal. I, I think they're sitting exactly where, where they should be and exactly about where I aim. I, I, I think in our, um, our pre-season um, predictions where they would be, you know, um, Oh, look, there's there's obviously some quality players within their squad, but in terms of the balance within that squad, you know, it, they they've still got some um some holes to fill within their roster. Um, and I thought our boys uh, put in a very professional performance yesterday, and you know, even missing quite a few of um uh, quite a few first graders of our own, I should say, we're still able to handle them pretty comfortably. You know, I, at no point during that game, despite the fact that they were. You know, throwing the ball around with what you know before the line looked like some attractive footy, but was pretty easily handled by our defensive line. Um, in the end, um, it just felt as though that we were in control. And even though we you know, were far from perfect ourselves, I think our completion rate was about sixty-eight percent or something within that vicinity. Um, you know, at no point in time during the match did I ever feel like, oh, you know, this is this is going to slip away from us. It just 
it, we felt in control from from start to finish. And you know, when I consider, um, I guess where we are in terms of where, um, where how our season is building, well, we finally um, we're finally level with seven wins and seven losses. We've we've um, um, won three on the trot and done oh it look pretty decent. And um, I'm pretty um, I'm I'm pretty happy with where we're going. Uh, uh, however, noting that there's still much growth to be had and, and, and many players to be welcomed back to the team as well. John, what about you? Your your thoughts on where the Bulldogs are heading this season and, uh, of course, uh, our Eels? Yeah, I was thinking about the Bulldogs and um, I, the first thing that really came to mind for me was that Robin Williams Jumanji meme where he jumps back out of the ball game and goes, what year is it? <laughs> because it, like the last five or six years, it's been the dog's year every year. Best recruitment drive, best young coach. You know, they had Trent Barrett, who obviously, you know, as a head coach, uh, struggled with the environment at the Bulldogs and is now doing great things at Parramatta as an assistant coach. But they went out and got the best new young coach in Cameron Serrato this year. They had the best recruitment drive. You know, the media were falling over themselves of how important Reed Marnie and the rest of the uh, the collection of players they'd signed were going to be for the team. And yet here we are, half over the season, and they're back in spoon contention. And I'm sure at some point in the years to come, they will hit a critical mass of recruitment and find the right coach. And maybe Serato is that coach, because I don't want to knock him too much, because being a head coach is hard, especially as a rookie, especially as a rookie in a rebuild. All those factors make it difficult, but it just feels like the media are so desperate for the dogs to be good that they keep hyping them and hyping them. That's what made me think of the what year is it mean. Yeah, and without going into a Reed Marnie bashing, how... I mean, what have we learned about Reed this year, Clint? Well, I don't necessarily want to suggest that he was purely a systems player. I think that's a bit disingenuous and unfair to Reed because you know he has he has shown glimpses uh, of some really great individual play for the Bulldogs this year. Um, but in saying that, you know, um, this, he, he was very much the bene- a, a player who's been a benefactor of. Uh, our success for the last few seasons and was able to, uh, excuse the quote, uh, cash money in on it. And and he's taken, you know, well, good luck to him. You know, as, as far as I'm concerned, uh, if, if you don't want to be at the Eels, then that's fine. You know, uh, we, we as Eels supporters want players to wear the blue and gold and represent Parramatta. And, you know, Reed decided he wanted to go over to Canterbury and, you know, well, good luck to him. But, you know, you reap what you sow and um, the, the, the deal that he made was to be in the position that he's he's currently in. And you know, I, I think there's probably another season or two yet for him to experience with that. And I think long term, you know, that's going to um, not just hurt his market value, but also um, you know any um, any aspirations he had towards rep football moving forward. So, yeah, look, you know, um, he's as I said, he's had some really good individual moments, and certainly some things that make a, a highlight reel and, and and look flashy at the end of the year when you go, oh, you know, what did, what did that player do this year? But you know, it's ultimately about the team and the team performance. And, um, you know, if, if he's going to be taking on that, that, that leadership role, if that's what's going to be bestowed upon him, then, you know, um, they're, they're, they're probably going to, and, and Reed himself, are probably going to want to achieve a bit more moving forward. Uh, John, I remember there was a, a statement in commentary or, or perhaps it was in, in an opinion on, uh, say, something like NRL Tonight, Maybe it was Blocker. I'm not sure if it was Blocker, Blocker but it was went something along the lines of Reed Marnie taking the Bulldogs to new levels this year. 
Look, uh, like you said, you don't want to be Reed bashing. And, and like Clint said, he's had very good moments. And I think, by and large, he stayed true to the player he was as the Eels. There were moment, there's been moments of real sparkling offensive play where he, you know, he's leading the competition 40-20s, I believe. He's had some great ball playing, always backing up. He's got a relentless motor, you know, high defensive involvement. But that comes with a propensity to make errors and overplay his hands in attack. And, the, you know, given his frame, the opportunity for the offense and the opposition side to bully him defensively for missed tackles and ineffective tackles. That's what we've seen from Reed this year. And the difference is, is that at Parramatta, he would have his great moments and we'd love it. And then he would overclaw the halves and we'd get frustrated. At Canterbury, he'd have his great moments and they love it. And, and they're in a different position where their expectations aren't as high as Parramatta fans. So they're you know more willing to forgive mistakes, which is fine. Uh, but he also hasn't got a good spine around him to be frustrated at his overcalls. You know, Burton is not a halfback. He's a good player, but he is not a halfback. Carlo Wapu, great young player, not a halfback. You know, these are guys that are willing to be the, you know, the sort of second in command, I suppose, or the back seat when Reed wants to, you know, take over a game. And that works out well for him. It works out well for the Bulldogs in the short term. But the reality is, and we've seen it for the Bulldogs talking about how much they've underwhelmed, they desperately need a halfback. They are a team that can put on sparkling passages of play, much like what Reed does, but for consistency, they are just lacking massively. No no genuine game management that mm-hmm. you can see out there. And probably to to that end, we're obviously we're seeing, I think, Reed Marnie trying to be more of the game manager, almost in a an attempted Cameron Smith type role. And that's not really his his bag. The the one thing I would imagine that Reed has brought to the Bulldogs would be a work ethic, and they would have been they'd be seeing that sort of thing on the training track, mm-hmm. where he mm-hmm. would he would probably be leading the efforts of the players out there. And that's to that end, it's probably why he's won the captaincy at the club. But I I think. Um, as you mentioned, John, we're, we're really not seeing anything terribly different from Reed this year to what we were seeing when he was at Parramatta. And I guess to that end, he's he's earning somewhere in the vicinity of $700,000 a season from what we're led to believe. So it's, gee, it's a big investment there. And I guess the other thing too that would be interesting from the Bulldogs is how well Jeremy Marshall King has performed for the Dolphins when he's been... Uh, I know we, he's missed some games through injury, but he's always a big inclusion when he's part of the Dolphins lineup in any weekend. So, um, yeah, interesting call that they uh, they made there. Now, the one thing I'd like to get a final take on, now that the dust has settled and we're maybe calmed down a, a little bit, is the officiating from yesterday. And I want to throw to you first, Forty, because we were highly critical of what we witnessed yesterday. Have you settled down at all today? I think you're speaking for yourself when you say calm down because <laughs> I, I have not calmed down. Um, I was just on the uh, other podcast I do with the other fellas, the Parrot Podcast with uh, Hamish, Hamish and Birdie, and you know, I, I ripped in again because, again, I, I thought Liam Kennedy had a very ordinary game as the main official, but like we always say, 60s, we allow a certain amount of latitude because of how frenetic and how difficult rugby league is to adjudicate on the fly. So yes, I didn't figure out a good game, but again, it's a hard job. I can cop that. He's going to have bad games, fair enough. 
didn't like the A2 penalty count, obviously didn't like some of the calls, but you wear them. What the bunker is and isn't doing consistently for both Parramatta and well beyond Parramatta, you watch games as a neutral. And I've watched more, I've been more invested in the NRL this year than I have been for years. It's been a really great, you know, uh, year for the code. There's been so many great teams rising up and the parity has come right back to the field without feeling like they've uh, neutered teams in order to do it. You know, teams are stepping up. That's great. But watching these games and when the bunker intervenes, it, it is mind-boggling. And th- that's what really concerns me is live whistle, hard, make mistakes, okay, cop it. When you have the benefit of reviews and all the different camera angles and all the technology and the chance to take your time and get the decision right and they are producing what they produce, uh, there, there is something rotten in the state of Denmark. Like, the, this needs to be <laughs> fixed. Like, uh, not... The, the fact that we had a try taking office in those in those circumstances like it boggles the mind because what do you want the Eels to do in that scenario? What is ba- um, Bailey Simonson meant to do? He didn't stop in the line. He pushed through. By pushing through, he didn't alter his line to impact the defender. The defender chose to be lazy and push him. And he got punished well, for it. Well, Clint, I don't know. Can you top 60s go on with a Shakespeare quote? He's <laughs> venting. Look, um, you, 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 you're quoting the greatest writer of all time there, so it would be um, outright ludicrous for me to suggest that I could I could outdo you there. But um, in, in, in that being said, you know, and just to, to add to um, what has been said, you know, I don't know if this is a direct quote. I might be paraphrasing, but when the video ref said, the bunker said, in our opinion, uh, Carl Alawapu would have been able to tackle Mike Acevo, my my response was, Okay, video, right? Yeah. Okay, sure yeah. thing. Good, good one. Have you played a tackle you know? of football in your life? Like, hello? Yeah. And, and that's the problem with when you take the rules beyond black and white and you allow interpretations to happen. We saw this way back in the day when obstructions used to be given more latitude for the interpretive side of things. There was stuff that was let go that, like, in our opinion, they wouldn't get there. In our opinion, they would have got there. And it's like, uh, we mustn't have played the same game. And that, that mm. was the case here. Anyone that's, like, like regardless of, like, the mechanics, because... Olapu was nowhere near Sivo, so he was never going to get to him in the first place. And Bowie Simonson did nothing wrong. Regardless of those mechanical aspects of it, anyone that saw that head-on vision of Sivo charging for the line, that was like that was the hardest to team Sivo run, and he'd had a good game running hard. That was like mm. Tedesco twenty twenty, was it? Was that when he he buried Teddy at the uh, S- yeah. old SFS? Like whoever was getting in his way was getting murked. They weren't getting back up. So I, I don't know. Like I said, regardless of the actual mechanical aspects of it and the common sense part of it, you know, that front-on shot told you everything you need to know about anyone trying to stop Sivo in that particular instance. Yeah, I have to admit, I was just in hysterics. Like, I, I was laugh. I wouldn't have been laughing if it had been a game-determining decision. Mm. The fact that there was that, um, you know, it was it was pretty much over. That's what led me to be, um, you know, finding that quite amusing. Uh, Clint, uh, any words that you want to add to that at all? <laughs> I was exactly the same, you know. As I said, I, I, I met it with a degree of sarcasm and and um, and lightheartedness for exactly that reason. But you know, it, it it it's it in isolation those types of things when they happen from time to time, you know, they're not problematic in and of themselves. But it's where it doesn't fill you with great hope when the game is in the balance, you know. And maybe it might have been a, a little bit of a. I don't want to necessarily suggest that they're making decisions in and around the scoreboard per se, but perhaps they were. 
you know. But Forty said it perfectly when it's, you know, did these people play the same game that we that we've played and that we've watched growing up and and um and and, and spend the better part of our lives watching because it just seems so out of touch mm-hmm. with people who do understand the game in in, in um through that uh, uh, I guess through those eyes and through that lens that people who are paid to officiate and just cannot cannot comprehend or, or, or connect those dots. It's, it was really quite frustrating um, after the fact. And you boys are right that clearly it was never going to cost Parramatta the game, and I'm sure there were some pundits that had you know, total points and margins that were furious about the outcome. But on an individual level, that could very much cost Marcus Evo the Ken Irvine medal. You know, he, uh, yeah. like that, yep. that, that is a significant accolade in his career that he can you know, put down on a notch. And it might come down to one try. Because that's yeah. you know, the, the the backs are just so prolific at scoring these days, and he's got a couple of you know crazy South Sydney bar backs on his tail. Yes, he has a plus two lead at the end of this round uh, on the back of the try he scored, but he should have had a plus three lead. And yeah. no, nothing. And I don't think Graham Annesley actually addressed this in his uh, round debrief. I don't think he did. I saw some talk about the two scrum penalties, the Newcastle Broncos game, and then Mitchell Moses against uh, the uh, the Bulldogs, obviously against uh, Burton. And the difference is there because I think he believes, and I actually agree from there that in the context of that Newcastle game, that the Broncos should have been Symbian because that was a cynical penalty with one play left in the game. Whereas in the Parramatta game, that was very much a different context at halftime uh, with the Dogs looking for a trick play. Uh, but yeah, didn't didn't address it. And that, again, you know, Annesley has done plenty of you know sort of addressing the bad stuff that's happened in the rest, but that one was so on the nose that you really had to, you should have you should have talked about it. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Look, from you, you mentioned about the uh, the punting. Uh, look, I don't put money on Parramatta. You know, you boys have me banned on uh, being able to do that sort of thing. Be, uh, hung, you'd be hung, drawn, and quartered if you did, man. If I find out. <laughs> yeah. uh, but in the uh, in the tip and the preview, I tipped uh, fifty two over 52 and a half total match points. Now a converted try there would have taken it to 52 total match points. And who knows what might've happened from there. But as it turned out, uh, I came up short by six and a half points on the tip there. So anyway, we move on Moses and junior called into the origin squads. Well, junior um, named again and Moses, Moses called into the squad deserved fellas. Yeah, look, I think so. Um, and listeners would know over the past few weeks, I've 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 absolutely rammed home the point that you know I'm I'm a Parramatta man first, and I I, I still am, you know, and that hasn't changed because Mitch has been selected, um, and you know it, it's a very bittersweet moment because of that. Um, you know, but it, what an accolade for our halfback and playmaker to be selected again. Um, you know, he was very harshly judged on his one origin appearance to date, which he did, um, played 70 minutes with a fractured back, uh, had two try assists, uh, kicked for plenty of metres as well in a game that they only, I think they only lost by two points in the end, gents. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't, my memory's a little hazy on that one. But, um, you know, and he, he, he largely achieved, if we're using um, try assists as the metric, what the supposed golden boy, um, the faultless golden boy, Nathan Cleary achieved in eight origins, you know, he was very harshly judged on that one appearance. And, you know, uh, I, I go into um, this, I'm a little bit frustrated with Freddie because he's, 
it's forced my hand into you know because we've got um we, we've just had junior in the, the, the last few origin games it was just a case of he's just got to make his head ups and make his tackles and come through unscathed and it's all good now that we've got a playmaker amongst it damn it freddie i have to be cheering them on now don't i <laughs> You, you've, you've done you've done us over with that one. I'm very frustrated with well, you doing that. He didn't but, do Mitch any favors, much the same way he didn't really do Cleary any favors by leaving only one half that can really kick and organize. Absolutely, you know, and he's going to be targeted and rushed because of that. And and you know that sort of dovetails into what I was uh, I was about to suggest is uh, I go in with a lot of apprehension with this um, as a Parramatta supporter and. You know, the wider rugby league community already having a, um, a particular, I guess, um, viewpoint um, towards Mitch Moses. And I, I'm just worried that he, you know, that he's being, I can't, I can't put it any, uh, any lighter than this, gents, but I don't want him to be set up for a fall and, 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 and scapegoated for what you know, might be mission impossible up there for New South Wales, trying to um, tie the game up in a hostile Queensland environment. And I don't want Mitch to be the, the um I, I, I guess the 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 direction of frustration from other um other clubs fans and and use that to perpetuate a narrative that he's not there and, and that he's not good, he shouldn't be there and he's not good enough because he is good enough and this is a very well deserved accolade and um I'm 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 hoping that he can go up there and have a whale of a game and and, and prove all of those doubters wrong. Yep, John. Anything you want to add? Yeah, well, like Clint said, he's in a way he has been set up for failure. He's re- he's replaced the uh, the golden boy. Uh, I, I, don't, I hate saying that too because Nico is a good guy. Like that, and I'm not trying to be derogatory when I say or, or derisive when I say golden boy. But he is the media darling right now. You know, he's a wonderful rugby league story, and they've really latched onto him, trying to build him up as the face of the game. And Mitch has come in and wrecked up the place by taking his place. So anything less than a man of the match performance, it feels like. They're going to say, "Well, Nico could have done better," or you know, or something like that, or Adam Reynolds could have done better. So, you know, Mitch has to have a whale of a game here, unfortunately. And uh, while I do think the team is better, the balance of the team is better. Um, I I also think that there are some still head scratching decisions. Um, you know, Reg can consider himself desperately unlucky. At least they picked a good young forward to replace him. Uh, we're still very. I mean, I, I do like Stefano. He's been plagued by injuries, but he's got all the talent in the world. So. Between him and Spencer Lenu, I'm okay if either of those guys getting the nod over Reg because at least you're building. Uh, but, uh, yeah, still got issues with the team. Uh, I don't like having only one proper middle on the bench. I know Cam Murray's a fantastic player, but he and Yo are not origin props. You know, they're, they're outstanding players in their own right and they bring plenty to the table, but they don't, they don't win the middle the way that you need to an origin uh, in rotation. So, got big, uh, big misgivings about that. And, yeah, just hope our boys have good games and get through it and... And for Mitch, I, I say that, he, he has to have a good game and win the game, unfortunately, to get any degree of uh, respect that he will deserve from this. Well, we'll come back and talk a little bit about the uh, overall origin selections uh, a little bit later in this podcast. Uh, I've just got a couple of things to say on it. First of all, congratulations to both players. Congratulations that to Mitch that he's won that recall. It's, it's well-deserved. To Junior, that he's really becoming one of the incumbent New South Wales players so that it's whilst I'm not saying his selection is guaranteed, <coughs> he's been able to work his way into a position with his with his performances in origin that he's one of the first that Freddie calls on. A bit of advice for Mitch, go low on Tino. <laughs> <laughs> 
don't don't attempt to be standing up when you tackle him because we we know what happens there with uh, if you do go in on the tackle. And uh, that's why that's something we didn't talk about from our game too. How did Mikey get charged for uh, his his raised one? And he, he actually was facing a, a potential ban, uh, or still is. He has to enter the guilty plea. How did yep. he cop the charge? And then Tino and Jun, uh, Jared were Hargraves don't. I don't yeah, understand this no. game. Yeah, no, I, I have no no idea whatsoever. Um, look, what I will say about Mitch is that his demeanour has completely changed in the game. You you saw before like look, before the game in the interview. You saw when he was out on the field and uh, waiting for the kickoff. You just saw that little confident nod to uh, to his teammates. You know, like I'm ready for this. You could see in the manner that he was playing. He, even when the the uh, kick pressure was being applied, he was just calmly getting those kicks away, mm-hmm. and and quite a variety of kicks that he was aiming for, as well this week. You know, he was he was putting in the low kicks to the corner, the the high kicks from the distance. So, and and I got to see that close up on Saturday at the Blue and Gold Alliance barbecue. And I relayed this story to you last night, I think after the game, John, that I asked Mitch Moses why the Eels would beat the Bulldogs. And he basically very calmly answered, because we're a better team. Mm-hmm. And it was just that, you know, it was a... It was a assured self-confidence. Straightforward, yeah. straightforward, assured answer. And I, I remember thinking to myself, yeah, yeah, that's that's wrong. a pretty that's a, that's a that's a pretty good reason why we're going to win. So, <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, now, just I want to go from there into the impact that those selections cause because we've just had Team List Tuesday. We're about to play um, this match against the Sea Eagles without both uh, Moses and Junior, and I'm gonna I I want to mention this again now because I've just written about it, the Eels are the only team that go into any of the pre-Origin games, the the, the games before, the, the round before Origin matches where teams have to stand players down that have been selected. Every team, except for Parramatta, gets a bye in one of those rounds. That's 16 clubs receive one of those buys in those stand-down origin weekends. Parramatta does not. And not one. That includes there are teams like clubs. the Warriors that don't have origin representation. Yeah, yeah it, even the Warriors get a buy. There are five clubs which receive two buys across those three weekends. Two buys. Now, I can look at that and go, yeah, that's fair enough. It's the Broncos, it's the Storm, it's the Roosters. You're looking at some clubs that traditionally have high representation. I think the Cowboys are another one of those clubs there. The Titans are. The Titans. So, you know, they're looking, obviously, this wasn't a a quirk of the draw. This isn't something that's random. It's been a definite decision to give teams that have higher representation their buys during these periods. So how is it 
that with such consideration given that every team except one would get a buy. Now, people have come at me today and said, well, that's because Parramatta don't have higher representation in origin. Hello, Warriors? Mm-hmm. Dragons? Tigers? Tigers? I mean, like, seriously. It's and, and the draw was done back last year. So they got they have no idea back then what the form is going to be like. They don't know what's going to happen with injuries. And at that stage as well, it was just as likely Parramatta would have three players in the New South Wales team. They had um, uh, RCG, who had been the form forward of last year and who, who for some reason Freddie wasn't selecting, but he was selected for the Kangaroo Tour. You had Junior Paulo, who was an incumbent. You had Sean Lane, who was considered unlucky to not be selected in the World Cup matches. And I, I'm pretty sure he was part of that extended Blues squad that um, that Freddie was looking at. So there were at least three players in consideration without looking at the claims of the likes of Moses or Gutherson. So people can't come at it and say, well, that's because of Parramatta's lower number of, of anticipated origin representatives. No, 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 no. This is just, I reckon it's been a straight out oversight myself. Yeah, regardless of even of that, which it certainly seems like that's the case, um, there's a discussion of equity or lack thereof in this instance, given that we are the only team that has zero in this situation and everyone else has at least one, if not two. Completely inequitable. Um, you know, I, I, I hope it's something that our football department has raised with the NRL. And you know, when you compound that with um, some of the other challenges we had at, at the beginning of this year, playing three teams in, in three consecutive weeks coming off the bye, you know, it, it's almost as though it's painting a picture. Well, how many, you know, this week, how many Monday public holiday games are there in a season? There's literally a tiny handful. And the Eels Bulldogs is one of the fixed venues for it or fixed fixtures for it. And yet we still have a five-day turnaround. They couldn't schedule us for a Sunday. Uh, yeah. it, it is, and I know that they pay a lot of money for the algorithm and the formula to make this buy, but oh, sorry, this draw, but there are some glaring issues of it. Goodness. Oh, you, look, you cannot have a situation where every other team gets consideration in these matches except for one the club that we follow. Now, as I said, I reckon that there was an oversight because of the sheer number of buys that are occurring across this origin period. Like it's just, you know, you've, you've got the big numbers of buys happening on the, on the rounds that I'm talking about Mm -hmm. where the match, the round immediately preceding the origin match where, where clubs would have to stand players down. So they've got, what is it like five matches across each of those weekends. So in other words, you've got seven teams that are getting a buy in each of those uh, weekends. And it, I, what I think has happened is first of all, you've had an oversight and then surely then they've actually picked it up and gone, well, it's too late now. That's bad luck for para. I, I reckon that's been the mindset mm. and then hoped that it slid through to the keeper where it wasn't noticed. Well, it is noticed. It's out there, fellas. It's out there, NRL people, and it's not good enough. In fact, 
it sucks in an extreme way. Like it's just, it's disgusting. And you know, at some point, at some point, we have to call them to account for these sorts of decisions because you know what? There is nothing that they can say that is an excuse for this. They can't talk about the number of representative players. They can't say, well, you know what? We gave you a buy in the last round of the season. Well, you know what? You gave other teams buys that um, where we were having to play them, play teams coming off their buys where they were rested. I mean, that's what you call the quirk of the draw. A team has to get a buy in that last round. The way that you've worked it out, a team has to get a buy. Now, that doesn't work out too bad for us. Nice. But you can't have a situation where you go, you know what? Every team has to get a buy during this origin period except for one. How does that work out? You can't because you've got you've got teams that are getting two buys during that period. You can't have teams getting two buys and a team getting zero. You can't have every team getting at least one buy and one team getting zero. It doesn't cut it. It's not good enough. There is no excuse for it. And I'd like to hear what statement they do make because it would be laughable. Anyway, fellas, we move on. The great mystery about who is going to play in the halves for Parramatta with Mitch Moses and Dylan Brown missing has finally been answered. And if you had said to me at the start of the season that halfway through the year we'd have a halves pairing, of Dejan Arcee and Ryan Madison. Put down the crack pipe, son. <laughs> yeah, drugs are no good for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do, not, do, not, do not involve yourself. <laughs> so, Clint, in your wildest dreams, did you see this happening at some point in the season? Well, if it was prefaced to me, I'm like, something must something must have happened. This is obviously would have been the question I would have asked. And as it turns out, there's quite a bit that's happened. <laughs> so... You know, um, but, um, you know, there would be plenty of Parramatta supporters out there who would, um, you, there'd be no strange, uh, no stranger to the news that Ryan Madison played plenty of, um, uh, played in the house plenty during his uh, junior football. And, you know, as recently as the under 20s um, in Parramatta colours, probably some year, I say, 10 years ago or so. 2014, um, yeah. And um, you know, he, 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 I'm pretty certain he played junior kangaroos in the half he as did. well. So yeah. he's he he it, it's he's no mug in that position, but it has been some time as well, you know. But we don't you know we don't need to, nor are we looking for him to play a traditional half role. He's not going to be doing the clearing kicks. You know, he might chip in with a um a, you know a, a grubber um 20 meters out or so. What we really need him to be is a good pass link option between Arzi and Gutherson, who'll be doing most of the running around and, r- and running of the team on Saturday. And, you know, Maddo's got a really good passing game on top of that. You know, he, he's, um, he, his running game is well noted as well. And uh, hopefully it, it, it shores us up defensively on the right edge. I, li- I like the idea of Maddo matching up against uh, Schuster defensively there either side of the ball, you know, you feel really confident in his ability to, to, to mark up on him. And likewise, you feel really confident in his ability running at him too. You know, having those big bodies in motion running at that edge um, is, is certainly an opportunity for us to attack. Um, and, you know, sorry, continue on. No, I was, I was, I was just going to finish on the point, you know, like with, with Hodson out who I, um, I assumed 
um, would have potentially have gone into the seven and RC at six, at least in attacking formation. He probably would have still defended in the middle and Brendan Hands defend on the edge. You know, um, it, it, it's the best possible team that we can name at the moment. So, you know, um, it's an odd one, but, you know, at, at the same time, given the circumstances, I, I don't see a better option. Yep. And, um, of course, we've got uh, Joe off in Gowie, who's hopefully going to play more than five minutes in this match coming in for um, in for junior, but going on, um, going on to um, the back onto Matto. John, we've gone from having probably the fastest halves pairing in the competition <laughs> to potentially the biggest. Yeah. Would that be? Yeah. Well, Dejan's no uh, midget himself, isn't he? He's got some decent size to him. And then Matto, well, it's kind of like back when Tony Williams used to run around the house of the Bulldogs. Uh, so, you know, the moderately sized 5 uh going around there. Uh, but, yeah, I think Quinn really hit most of the key talking points there. Um, the the big question mark will be game management and clearing kicks, and we know that Dejan can do at least a bit of that. We saw that against the Bulldogs, which is why I was so happy to see him fully involved and fully incorporated into our systems. They didn't hide him, and that's going to serve him better this week where, you know, he knows he can take the right kicks here and there. Uh, Matto... You know, mentioned Quint, nice grubber kick. He um, had a tricep against Canberra, was it? Uh, with a really good mm. grubber kick. So oh, hoping, good, yeah. Hope, hoping for more of that. And the big thing that you also already talked about uh, is, you know, those isolation players. You put him in ISO up against, a, a, you know, a half or a center and create that big mismatch. And, you know, it happens to be that Schuster happens to be, has a, happens to be a pretty good size, but has question marks defensively. And you post him up against Schuster, you know, it causes him to have to make the one-on-one and suddenly – Short ball passing lanes open up, offloads open up. Bryce Cartwright's got a great feel for those things. Um, he, he times his runs really nicely. He'll always be on the ball. Uh, and then, you know, even Quentin Gufferson can uh, potentially be looming around for that offload off Matto. So there's going to be options down the right. Uh, Guffo's going to be a big feature on both sides, especially the left. Uh, him and RC linking up, looking for Mike Acevo, I think is going to be one of our sort of bread and butter plays this week. Um, and... You know, the other player that I think could be the big beneficiary is this Ford pack gets really healthy. And I say that with Ryan Madison playing the halves. But from what we saw last week, Brendan Hands, he could be up for a big game here. You know, he, he went for nearly 100 on the ground. He was constantly probing, looking for forwards on the front foot. Uh, against Manly's pack, uh, and with, you know, Reg, Joe, Ogden, all those boys in good nick, he could have a big game here. Uh, would you say Hands outplayed Reed Marnie last week? Oh, without a doubt. And look, Reed had a vastly improved game compared to the first time these two teams met. You know, he he was on full tilt in that game, trying to win the game single handedly. But even so, uh, you know, the knock on Hands last night was, or yesterday afternoon, was a forward pass and that defensive miscommunication between him and Junior. Um, aside from that, he was very good. Uh, you know, called upon to play eighty minutes and just does the job. So having a I said this to the boys in the other podcast. I don't think anyone's going to have him in Rookie of the Year contention for the Dally M. Uh, he hasn't got the profile to support that sort of thing, unfortunately. But he is having a really, really good rookie campaign. Well, it might just get him the Rookie of the Year for the Eels. Oh, yeah. I, I think he, he is uh, – it's not lay down Mazer, but he's certainly the, the strong front runner here. Oh, I think he's – there might just be a bit of a space – <laughs> There's a fair the gap, yeah, fair gap. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, just my two bobs worth here with this. I think I'd like to think that the Eels put a focus on getting those set completions this week because mm. I don't want to see 
Dejan or Ryan or even Clint Gutherson kicking from 30 metres out from our own line. I think, um, uh, you know, I, I don't want us to be turning over cheap possession yeah. in our halves. This is a bad game to be chasing early points too, to be down yes. two or three tries. If you keep the, the game within arm's distance or arm's reach distance, you can manage it. You can get there and win this game, but if Manly exploded out of the block, it's going to be very tough sledding. Yep. And, of course, the other thing is, too, that this selection didn't surprise in that, um, you know, there was Gutho joked, and we can now say joked at the press conference. That <laughs> I'm, he was I'm not so to... sure. I'm not so sure. <laughs> he was going to play halfback. What we know about Brad Arthur is that he doesn't like to disrupt other positions to solve a selection dilemma in another. And, um, and as, or as you say, John, he doesn't like to weaken one position in a in an attempt to strengthen another. Yeah, exactly. And the the less disruption that he causes to the the overall balance of the team, the better. So that you are far better bringing in a player into the uh, position that has a missing player than it is to swap people around out of the positions that they're they're comfortable in, out of the combinations that they're developing, and we're certainly seeing combinations that are developing. Um, out on the edges, and uh, to that end, I, I guess that's that's part of the reason for the improved form of the of the likes of Bryce Cartwright and Bailey Simonson this year in their respective positions. Um, now, just moving on, we had some confirmation this uh, today, I think it was, with the injury list news from the Eels about uh, Wiramu Greg, who is now slated to return in, uh, what is it, about six weeks? Round 22, I believe. Yeah, six weeks. Yeah, some, something like that. Now, I didn't really want to talk about this before because um, if I have a conversation with a player about an injury, it's not my place to then uh, put that on uh, TCT because uh, my policy has always been that it's best for any updates like that to come officially through the Eels um, site and uh, where it's approved by, where any uh, comments that maybe have been made by doctors, any mail from doctors is um, is then confirmed and then placed on their site on their on their official site. But I did have a chance to have a, a quick chat with Wiramu on Saturday afternoon, and he confirmed to me then that his injury wasn't as bad as what was first reported, and that uh, the Operation was a bit uh, was a little bit simpler than it might have been, and that as a consequence of that, that his rehabilitation time would be faster. Now he didn't give me any timetable; he just said he'd be back sooner than what people were saying. And now we've had that confirmation through the eels that that will be six weeks. And I guess, fellas, all we can say is that's good news. Seriously, good news. And assuming, knock on board, there aren't further long-term injuries, Brad Arthur's got a hell of a selection conundrum ahead of him at the back end of the season because that bench, I mean, Hands, Opengahi, Wiramu, and then I suppose one of, one of uh, Cartwright or Madison, whichever one isn't starting. Like, yeah. And then you're, you're talking about guys like Ogden and Makatoa and Dory who are doing tremendous jobs right now, like seriously good jobs. Uh, you know, Andrew Davey, who uh, you know we talked about earlier, you know, they're, they're surplus the requirements in a fully fit team. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't want to say too much on that because I'd like to, that situation to 
event your weight. Yeah. <laughs> so, we, don't, we don't need the uh, the old 60s black magic going on top of that one. So <laughs> That's it. I've, look, I've got my, my hand on a wooden cabinet at the moment just to make sure that, <laughs> that uh, I'm, I'm not going to... You better be triple knocking it. If, if, if something... If, hang on. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear the knocking in the background. Yeah, we can hear yeah. it. Yeah. So, um, look, now I want to throw to you here, Forty, which is the New South Wales Cup. You've just done the team list. Our stocks are horribly thin in New South Wales Cup. Yeah. Last weekend, I think we had something like only four players who were on the on the top thirty listing for the Eels that were running around in New South Wales Cup. A couple of development squad players on top of that. But apart from that, it was uh, second tier and uh, Ron Massey Cup players that were called up that ran out in the blue and gold last weekend. I don't know that it's improved too much this week because uh, we have a second rower in Dan Keir who's playing 5'8". Look, Dan is a goer. He'll give it everything he's got. But there is no world in which you can tell me he is a 5'8". No. No, and he's playing five out outside Jordan Rankin. So I want to throw to you, John. Um, I mean, is this they're just having to ride out this time? I mean, we we is it a case of not only just not putting expectations on them to get a win, but not judging them too harshly? Oh, look for, for, for the result? the team that's there, I hundred percent agree right now. Now, judging the team is separate to the paradigm of roster building, and look. Part of this could be, uh, you know, if you have a chance to do a deep dive with the football staff and the circumstances behind it, the timing of like different waves of talent, and you now this this current SG Bourne Jersey Flag team are probably going to become the core. You'd think of the Cup team moving forwards, but right now the timing doesn't line up well. Uh, but <clears throat> that that could be a factor. But you know, there, there might be need, need to be a bit of a paradigm shift because I think at full strength, obviously now factoring that Jake Arthur's longer at the, in the team, we're, we're a bit weaker in the halves at full strength. Start of his season, we had a very good cup squad, and for for the most part, they played sort of at that level. There were a couple of bad games here and there, but they had some good runs too. Um, but I think maybe we sort of underestimated attrition and the importance of having an even deeper cup squad, guys that go down to Ron Massey, but are, are close to the cup level players. Um, which will you know that will come when you start having jersey fleet classes filling out your roster. Uh, but yeah, looking at this team, it is tough sledding for them and. Uh, that's why we, we're not too critical because, you know, the back line up until this week where you get uh, a notable inclusion back in Wunga Blake, you know, they, they were largely a Ron Massey Cup back line. And, you know, yeah. the heart, the spine is, you know, a Ron Massey Cup spine for the most part. You know, you're, you're playing forwards at 5'8". You've got a centre at fullback. Uh, you've got uh, uh, many Luke who's doing a good job, but he's not a, a frontline, uh, you know, sort of NRL prospect. Yeah. Yeah, and and Clint, of course, the converse of that is the hope that's coming through in the Jersey flag. And I, I just want to run through a few names before you come in with comment. But this week in the Jersey flag team, we have Richard Penasini, who's on the wing, Arpa Twidal, who's at 5'8", Joshua Lynn, who's at halfback, Patrick Spence, who's at dummy half, Lance Fulima at prop, Charlie Geimer in the back row, Saxon Pryke at lock, and Sam Tuavite in uh, coming off the bench. So you've got just a surge of SG ball talent that are in the um, 
Jersey flag team, the majority of them in the starting lineup of the Jersey flag team. That must give you great hope for where the club is heading there, Clint. We said it all throughout the year, you know, it's very much a reflection of the direction that it's going, that the club is going. And likewise, that uh, I, I guess that, um, you know, that, um, that, jun- that junior base that's coming through and those, those development, being a development club, I should say, um, being a core part of our identity. Well, well, this is the next crop that completely reflects that. And, you know, Jens, I'm really interested to see how um, how Charlie Geimler goes in, in the back row in this grade. I know he had a handful of games at centre um, in flag last year with a couple of mixed performances. So I'm wishing him all the best. You know, he obviously um, made the, the back row position his own in the um, the SG ball there. Um, and, it, you know, he's... He's probably of of that squad, at least of who we expected to um, play flag this year following the SG ball season. He's probably the probably the last of, of sort of that core group um, who hadn't played yet that 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 now comes in the squad. Um, so I'm I'm wishing him all the best and, and, and hoping that he goes out there and has has a big one. It's, it, it's fantastic for the club the more of these guys that are coming through and, and getting these types of games under the belt because. It, it's so important to um, to build that, build those games, and build that momentum going into another off season, where for hopefully for a lot of them, they're having their first or second full time um, off seasons uh, with the club and you know with pro- with professional full time contracts. Yeah, and just to um, just to that end, I believe that the delayed selection of Charlie Geimer, I, I think he had an injury at the. Mm. Uh, uh, might have been coming out of the final, but he's um, yeah, he's he hadn't been selected as yet due to injury, I believe. So good to see him uh, back out there on the field and also uh, running out there in a, a Jersey flag team that's that's probably had a bit of a tough time the last few weeks, and they'd be looking to bounce back this week. Okay, fellas, we now move on to NRL news. And first of all, we've touched on it before, but let's get stuck into the origin changes. I'll just run through those. So for New South Wales, we've got the ins of Moses, Cook, Mitchell, Utoikamanu and Robson, and the outs of uh, Cleary and Coruscant, obviously due to injury, um, Crichton back to the reserve list, and um, Tavita Pengai Jr. and, um, and Hines, both being dropped from the squad. For Queensland, we've got Gilbert, Arrow and Cobbo out with injury. Uh, Fodawaika to the bench, Nanai into the starting pack and Coates onto the wing in place of Cobbo. So um, I'm going to throw to you first, Forty. You've already touched on some of your concerns as far as New South Wales are concerned. Mm-hmm. Have you got anything else that you want to add to that at this early stage. Yeah, I think Hudson Young's probably lucky to hold his spot. I think that uh, Liam Martin, you know, obviously he's coming with that concussion concern, but he's capable of playing 80, and he could have taken that edge spot pretty comfortably. Had a hell of a game in game one. Um, in my my books, I probably would have gone for a Hines-Moses combination. That way you're presenting Queensland with two options that can run, kick, and pass. Uh, Luai obviously is the incumbent and holds his spot uh, for that reason. Uh, but I, I don't like the... In Clubland, I would have no issues with a moses Luai combination. I think that's great balance in Clubland. But as we've seen with this, you know, quote-unquote Penrith combination situation, it just doesn't translate to origin well. Uh, you don't get away with the same sort of leverages and opportunities at the higher level that you do in Clubland, where you can control the flow of the game a lot easier. Uh, so not a huge fan of that. I do like... Can I just jump in? Can I just jump in? 
And it, it, because it's interesting that um, you, you spoke about how um, it doesn't translate well to the, um, to the origin arena. The interesting thing, too, is that we've had critics wanting to rip into Mitch Moses um, and, and, and suggest that some of those players that are, um, you know, unfortunately missed out um, who it hasn't, as we're concerned, hasn't tra- translated well to uh, origin their club form. And you've got these critics of Moses saying that his form was against lower opponents in the NRL. Never, never mind the, the wins against Penrith and South Sydney where he spearheaded incredible victories. Correct. Like, Correct. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. Look, it doesn't surprise with some of the critics. One of them, of course, today was a shock jock that um, has a well-known hatred for the Parramatta Reels. I don't even want to mention his name anymore. It's um, it's like it's actually it should he should be embarrassed by his takes. <laughs> Look, um, on, on the team 60s, I'm neutral on the dummy half situation. Um, I'm, I'm not against having two dummy halves. We don't have the luxury of having a Ben Hunt and a Harry Grant to be that dynamic duo. But Reese Robson is a good player, um, and Damian yep. Damian Cook look, Cookie. He's one of those guys, again, where his game is so well-suited for clubland where your forwards can consistently dominate and he gets on the front foot. Uh, it, last time he was in origin, I thought it was pretty ordinary. Uh, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. He was doing 360 pirouettes and losing track of where his halves were. He's got to be better than that this time. Yeah, yeah. You've got you've to have an elite passing game at this level. You've got to have that ability to, um, to deal with the unexpected. Because origin is all about the unexpected, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny. We have to expect the unexpected. That's basically what it is in origin, you know, that ability to think on your feet. And it's not saying that he's he's devoid of that in any way, shape or form. It's just that he's, he's never really shown that that's his go. I mean, he's... Um, he's got an elite running game, but we're probably seeing less and less of that, aren't we, over the years? Yeah. Would you say? He's not, and, he's not as dynamic as he used to be, 100%. No, no. So, um, and and you know what? To an extent, he's he's um, he's got, like, serviceable a serviceable game in terms of, you know, distributing the ball. The, his, his team needs him to do that. But I don't know. I don't know that he creates the sort of opportunities that he used to in the past. But look, we'll back him as New South Wales supporters to get the job done. Um, Clint, any takes that you want to add to um, the origin selections? Well, you just touched on there, gents. Um, in origin, we want to you know, expect the unexpected. And to me, you need to be selecting players that do exactly that. And Queensland have, have nailed that since day dot. And they continue to nail it to the present day. Um, I'm interested, actually, in your thoughts. I'm sort of going to um, pose a question to you here. If everyone was fit, who would you pick as your halves? Because my answer to that question, and noting what has already been said about the club combinations, and I've, I've long been against that um, modality of thought um, since it, it, it's been presented and adopted across the wider rugby league community. If everyone's available for New South Wales, yeah, clear is my halfback. Mitch Moses is my six. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, I think um, I think Forty and I have 
have um, have definitely thrown that out there in the past. But I've, 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 for the better part of the last two or three seasons, that's that's who I would have gone with because um, you certainly got a running threat in Mitch. You got a pseudo running threat in in Query. You got the two best, um, two of the best Keaton games going around in the rugby league world there. Um, and likewise, they're both pretty good defenders for halves, all things considered. You know, I, 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 I think they're both built for that arena, and it would be very interesting seeing them playing alongside each other. Obviously, that we don't have the um, the opportunity for that, but uh, I, I bring that up as well because, um, much like you were touching on there with the selection of Will, I, I just don't think he's the type of player for this arena. Um, and um, given that Query isn't available like 40, I would also have gone with Hines at six, Moses at seven. Um, for exactly those reasons, players that can just, you know, keep asking questions and you know have have more than one trick in their bag, and and um, you know, um, Forty also touched on this earlier in the podcast, but I, I'm very much a, a big fan of um, in in this type of football, two at least two middles on the bench, um, and personally, if it were up to me, Isaiah Yo, I, I must preface when I say this, Isaiah Yo is a fantastic player. Um, but personally, I'm, I've, I've, I think if you're wanting to mix things up a little bit um, and, and to ask those questions and, and, and expect the unexpected, Cameron Murray's probably my New South Wales 13 because he's, he's got that little bit more leg speed than Isaiah Yeo's got. And likewise, he's, he's just as effective, if not more effective, link man on any given day. And I, I think when you have um, halves that can continuously ask questions. And you've got the, the passing threat of Murray through the middle third there as well, the pass run um, threat of him. I just think it opens up a lot more opportunities attacking-wise for New South Wales. And likewise, it creates that extra second of space when that's happening that allows those halves to uh, unlock the outside backs. You know, guys like Trebojevic and um, Latrell Mitchell are already going to be heavily marked, but you give either of them an inch of room and they turn it into something. And uh, I think with those types of combinations, were they available or, you know, were they picked? It might have just made New South Wales a little bit more potent. Uh, look, I'm now interested in what you said about that being your half and 5-8 combination because on reflection, I'm surprised that that's never been raised before yeah, now. that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, the idea of I mean, having I, two I halfbacks. Like, yeah, I, look, I can see, I can see the value in that because of what could then be thrown from either side of the field because each player is quite uh, confident at playing each side of the ruck, mm-hmm. so you wouldn't necessarily have to tie them down to one side of the field or the other. If that was a club combination, I'd have some concerns that we'd see something similar to the Corey Norman Mitch Moses uh, dilemma that Parramatta faced, where you had two players that were essentially the dominant half. But I think in an origin arena, it becomes a, a, a different story altogether and would probably work in three matches. If it went longer than three matches, there would probably be some uh, some issues. Uh, when, it, when it came to who would I select, uh, like if I wasn't going with that, um, but no, you know what? See, I was, I was content with once the... Once the team had been selected, where they were going with uh, Cleary and Luai, I'd like them to keep the combination for the series and give a combination an opportunity to win a series. If you then said, like, if New South Wales, were New South Wales to lose this series 2-1 or 3-0, 
and then the, it came time to naming the team next season, given that we know that Fittler pays no attention to form, and we know that because he completely ignored the claims of different players last year. So if he's selecting the team that he believes is going to win, I would then go away from that pairing next year. And I would be looking at another pairing, be it Moses and Hines or, or whatever the case may be. But I would have stuck solid with Cleary and Luai for this series because I don't like chopping and changing unless you're forced to. And I know we know that he was forced to this particular series. But, um, yeah, so, look, I guess given that Cleary's injured this year, I would make a call next year based on what, what now happens for the rest of this series. Like if Moses is able to produce like we we think and hope that he will produce and that he's able to help engineer a New South Wales win, I would hope that they would consider your um, option there, Clint. And the other thing too that you raised about um, Isaiah Yo, um, look, I'm a big fan of Isaiah Yo. I'm gonna I'm gonna say to you if you kept him if you didn't have him in the starting lineup you would surely have him on the bench wouldn't you Clint if he was well, if he wasn't selected well this is my conundrum you know and um, going back to the points that that Forty was making and I, I'm absolutely an advocate of this as well I like two real genuine middles um, on my bench and in 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 my selection world. I kind of think it's an either um, um, it's 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 one or the other when it comes to Murray and Yo, and just because Cam's got that little bit more leg speed, he's who I'd go with. Now, as I said, Isaiah is a fantastic player, and he's absolutely deserves to be in this team. But tactically, the way that I I, I personally would want to attack the game would be with as much um, leg speed as possible, um, and you know I, I, I want some real complementary body shapes. Um, making up my middle third defenders, you know, I, I, I want I, I want at least one player capable of playing big minutes. I want, um, you know, ideally two, ideally all of them, really. I mean, when you're, we're talking about the best of the best here, um, you know, m- you know, more often than not, the, the middles who play who are selected for the team are playing at least fifty fifty five minutes for their, their club sides every week. But um, you know, I, I like having the, the the leg speed of someone like Murray, and you know. You know um, for many years has been um, the, the catalyst to opening up our edges defensively, um, being that first pass option off the ruck and, and linking in with the likes of, um, of Cody Walker and, and, and Latrell Mitchell. Um, but likewise, you know, it, I, 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 I'm a big subscriber to two, two, start, two genuine starting props and two genuine bench props just to keep the heat, um, the heat going. In those high-intensity games, I've, I've, I want I want twenty real quality minutes, and depending on the play, maybe someone for like uh, Payne Haas, I might keep him on there for for thirty minutes. But the rest of the rest of the middles that are sort of rotating through, I, I, I want them to to maintain the rage. I want them to keep going. I, I, I want as much um, leg speed either side of the ball as possible. So you know, obviously, I mean, when when um, to to put that in more black and white terms. I, I, I want I want our middles absolutely chewing it up when when they're hitting the ball up, putting the meters up. That is, and defensively, I want as much line speed as possible. And to maintain that type of energy, you need to be able to rotate your middles pretty regularly. And you know, for for um, the high intensity arena that Origin is, that's how I would personally go about it. And when I sort of think that through, 
that means that I, I get I get stuck in a position of um, one or the other when it comes to Cam Murray and Isaiah Yo. And it sounds kind of weird to to to, to say that um, initially, but um, you know, backwards rationalizing after I've, I've, I guess my um, my thought process behind that, I I choose one or the other because of the, the style of football that I would personally want to play there. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we'll. Uh, we'll agree to disagree there around the Isaiah Yo, because as Forty knows, I'm a massive, massive fan of Isaiah Yo. For many years, I, I, I'm not a religious person, but I was praying to the football gods that somehow Parramatta was able to. <laughs> you know. um, but now, just moving back to club football and to a decision which impacts the Parramatta game, which is that we've got Arthur versus Arthur this week when the Eels take on the Manly Warringah Seagulls with coach Brad Arthur, who, again, we congratulate for clocking up game number 244 in charge of the Eels, and it was a victory, and he is now the longest-tenured coach in the history of the Parramatta Eels. So well done to BA there. And for the first time now this week, he is coaching a team against his son, Jake. Now, he's he's had that close association with his own son through the local junior coaching. Um, and then, uh, of course, as, uh, as Jake has been in the full-time squad at Parramatta for a number of years now until he's moved across to Manly, now he coaches against him. Uh, you can wonder, you wonder what the uh, conversations have been like at home this week. But Jake is the starting half for Manly. He's earned that spot. Uh, ahead of some other contenders. Uh, those people, I, I just want to say, those people who used to constantly say that no other club would select Jake Arthur or pick Jake Arthur up on their roster, um, well, look, there you go. He's he switched to Manly and he's already played uh, a game off the bench and now he's the starting half with uh, DCE off to origin. Something that he would have he would have been doing for the Eels had he stayed at the Eels with uh, Mitch being selected for Origin this week. And you know what? Those people would have been criticising BA for selecting him in first grade. You've now got Anthony Seabold selecting him in first grade. He had offers from other clubs over the last couple of years. He eventually took that Seagulls offer. Congratulations to him being in first grade. I can be pleased for Jake, but I'll be cheering against his team this weekend because we want the Eels to win. Um, fellas... Your thoughts, Jake, starting for the for the Seagulls against his uh, father's team. Uh, interesting situation there, uh, John. Well, it's crazy when you think about that. We're one game removed from Brad Arthur's incredible milestone game being against his own son. Like that's how yeah. close it was. It could have been the game this week, uh, say for you know the buy scheduling and whatnot and a couple other things. But yeah, uh, and, and in another sort of uh, dark cosmic sort of. Uh, Humor going around, uh, you know, Jake naturally making his starting debut for Manly against Parramatta in a game where Mitchell Moses is out of action because of Origin. You know, all these things, all these things, sort of coming together and intersecting that just like make for that much more fitter for the game. Uh, well done to Jake. Hope he has a good game. Hope Manly suck. Uh, you know, that, that's <laughs> that's the vibe I'm going in. You know, obviously it's good for him to be out of the. I, it's it's so sad to say, but to- toxic situation he found himself in at the club uh, on account of, you know, the, the lunatic fans. Because, <clears throat> you know, you, you look at him and anyone that watched not just Parramatta play but actually watched a bit of Reggie's knew that he was 
one of the premier backup halves in that grade. So, John, know. can you believe there were still people on social media that when after Dejan debuted and had a great game for the Parramatta Eels on debut, that wanted to um, stretch it to say um, this is an example of players that that Jake was keeping out of first grade and that his father was keeping out of first grade because of Jake. I can't I'm believe like, it. I can't believe it. People what? are crazy, unfortunately. Oh, I'm like, I, I'm, I, was, I was stunned. And, and I can't believe that people wouldn't just go, like not even be referencing it because Jake's not with the club anymore. Mm-hmm. Dejan had a great game on debut. Just congratulate the bloke. To celebrate his it, it, yeah, his To moments. celebrate him. You don't need... You don't need to put someone else down, and it's wrong to like. It was erroneous the comments that are being made, right? So, but you don't need to put someone else down to congratulate another person. No, so, um, yeah. But anyway, um, Clint, your your takes on uh, Jake getting that debut starting position against uh, Brad for the first time this uh, in their lives. Well, just to add, add to the end of that, you know. I'll... Obviously, there's some people who feel like they need to close some type of loop there. Uh, wrongly so, I might add, because um, anyone who's been watching any New South Wales Cup the last 12 months will know how well Jake had been playing in that grade and how effective he'd been. In particular, this year, he led every metric that a half could lead in that grade. And Jesus would be handy to have him on our side this week as opposed to be playing against him. Um, nonetheless, um, that, that the, the way that it stands is... Jake will be playing against um, um, Brad for the first time in his life. And, um, you know, I, I, I couldn't echo what um, you gents have said more in that I wish that he has a, a great game and the Manly are absolutely diabolical around him. Um, yeah. You know, I, 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 I hope that he um, he goes out there and, and, and goes about his business to, to um, I, 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 I guess, just, you know, show that he deserves to be in this grade because he, he is capable of playing in this grade. And he played very a number of good games for us as well, you know. So, um, but ultimately, I care about us getting the W. And, um, you know, um, be, I'm, I'm sure it makes for, um, for interesting text conversation now that Jake's moved out of the family <laughs> home um, this week. Um, and you know, maybe they're not saying anything and they're just waiting until um, to full-time Friday. But I'm sure there'll be a father-son embrace at the end of the game as well. And, I hope that the Parramatta fans, when his name are read out, um, are respectful and likewise just as respectful every time he touches the ball. Mm, I've got my suspicions there uh, around some people, but um, uh, let's move on. The Dragons, have they finally come up with a solution to their coaching woes where Shane Flanagan will be taking over as their coach? I'll throw to you first, Clint, on this. Yeah, it seems that way, and and bizarrely so in the last um, couple of hours, um, Shane Flanagan seems to have released a personal statement that's an announcement prior to the announcement that he's accepted the position of quite, I don't think we've ever seen that before, Um, and that was done via um, um, uh, Fox Sports social media channels, so uh, a little bit weird that um, that's being removed from the club to do that, but um, it seems as though they've, they've, they've found their man or settled on their man. And, you know, um, obviously Shane is a premiership winning coach. Um, he's um, 
spent a number of years out of the game in in terms of a head coaching capacity. He's obviously had some assistant positions and, and done his work, his commentary and media work in and around Fox Sports. But um, we said a couple of weeks ago that we thought it'd be prudent of the Dragons to continue on with Ryan Carr. I, I think there was even some suggestion of some of the, that noise coming out of the Dragons um, playing group themselves. Um um, or at least I'd seen it alluded to online at certain places, but um, it's definitely a watch with interest one, this, because St. George are in a very, very precarious position as a club right now. And and their next move, um, you know, and I'm going with Shane, is it, it's certainly an interesting one. Um, to uh, I'll be careful with the words that I use there. Um, given uh, some of the history that that Shane has and the reasons that he spent out of the um, um, out of a head coaching role and then likewise um, the PR um, damage that has happened to the dragons brand over the last two to three years for a number of different reasons so um, you know that being said Shane is a very um, strong figurehead and might be just the personality they need but um, you know it's it certainly smells of a scenario of um, at this particular point in time, the, the way that I interpret it, the Dragons needing Shane Flanagan more than Shane Flanagan needing the Dragons because they've decided to pull this lever and 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 touch the untouchable man. John, I'm go- in throwing this to you as well. I'm hoping you can answer a, a couple of questions that I have. Um, first of all, Shane Flanagan, should he? immediately step away from Manly because, uh, well, here's the, here's the other question. Is it possible for him to focus on his current coaching job if he is that excited about where he's heading to next year? And for someone to put out his own personal press release about how how excited he is about being able to link up with the Dragons and he's with a different club now and it doesn't matter how how much he talks about being grateful to Manly you'd have to think that his eyes are, are looking ahead to next year and that you know maybe he's not going to do the exact same job that he was going to maybe do for the rest of this season for the Seagulls for the longest time assistant coaches would sign on as a head coach and would you know, see out their contract or tender with their current employer, and no one batted an eye. But there's been a big shift, hasn't there, in the NRL recently where signing for another club from the assistant coach role, especially if you're uh, either a really in-demand rookie coach or rookie assistant coach, sorry, uh, and or a seasoned, you know, vet that had to bide their time and look at their next gig, that you sort of, you, you're moving on when you sign. Um, especially because, as we've seen so often, that once you sign up a club from one place to another, you start poaching. You start recruiting, you know, uh, externally from internally, essentially. And, yeah. uh, you know, it becomes an untenable situation. There's, strictly speaking, in a bubble, there's no reason why Flanagan, you know, can't or shouldn't sit out his uh, coaching or assistant coaching contract with Manly if Manly think that he can help the team. But based on what we've seen and based on what we know will probably happen, I'd say that the situation will become, you know, close to untenable sooner rather than later. So, and and look on the flip side of that, the Dragons' job is monstrous. He probably needs all resources and time allocated to it as much as he can. So it's probably yeah. probably beneficial for him to get in, you know, to the front office now, 
start filling out who he wants to keep, who he needs to get rid of, start recruiting his support staff, his assistant coaches, all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, not just the players, start filling out which players he wants to keep because there are a whole ton of players that have uh, you know, made a lot of noise about moving on if they didn't get the right coach. Um, you know, Starting with Ben Hunt, uh, you got Jaden Sewer, uh, you got out in the centres, uh, what's his name, <clears throat> uh, Lomax. So there's a lot of uh, egos you even need to massage or kick out. And yeah, so maybe it's best for him to move on. Yeah, we're, we're not talking about him jumping in and taking over the coaching role from now, from now, but basically using the time now to get to know what the setup is mm-hmm. there, get to know what changes he wants, what players he wants or doesn't want, without actually being immersed in the the weekly grind of coaching. And, uh, yeah, as and, and taking off my Eels hat and just putting on a completely neutral hat, I just don't see how you can continue on to be the assistant coach at a club when you are going to be the head coach in another club the next year, a bit of rival of, of the club that you're at at the moment because every private conversation that you have with a player away from the ears of other people, like if you're seen talking to particular players at, at training, you know, people are going to become suspicious. Mm-hmm. And you know that rumours and innuendo is going to start. And once you've got that rumour and innuendo going on, that that doesn't help anyone. So, um, yeah, I, look, I I don't think he should continue on as the as the Manly assistant coach. And you know what? Like that is a bit unfair on Manly. As much as uh, you know, I can rejoice in the fact that they would have a disruption to the season. It it I, it isn't fair that you lose an assistant coach because we've seen that assistant coaches have a vital role at the club. We had one year where the Eels, uh, when we lost Peter Gentle, and we didn't replace him within the Eels coaching structure until partway through the next season when David Kidwell came in to take on that role. And, you know, it was most evident. That that was our worst season that we had. The Eels were Mm under-resourced. Mm-hmm. Now, I think Manly's got enough issues with resources with having the private ownership as it is. So, um, as I said, like I, I could I could actually care less if they if they completely stuff up their season. I'm just I'm just saying it is. I can see that it is a little bit unfair that it happens and plays out this way. Finally, fellas, let's wrap this up with a look at one of the big guns in the NRL who just aren't performing like most of the pundits expected that they would. And we're talking about the Sydney Roosters. They're, given their roster, given the star power that's within their club, they're going, they're going pretty ordinarily. And now I know that they got a win over the Eels earlier in the season, but they had... That was one of the strange games to watch. It was probably arguably Parramatta's poorest performance of the year, but we had two periods of having a player in the sin bin. So we had 20 minutes of players in the sin bin um, in that match, and obviously that was costly because tries were scored during those periods. But, um, Clint, where do you see the Eels, uh, sorry, the Roosters at this season, and can they get out of the funk that they're in at the moment? Like I'm sure most um, NRL fans like to do, I like to have a play around with the ladder predictor every other week and 
you know, um, try and see where I think teams might pick up some wins and, and, and where some losses might take place. So you can kind of get a feel for how the ladder might look at certain points throughout the year going into the semis and, and beyond. And um, I'm really, I've, I've really got no idea about the Roosters at the moment. And I don't think anyone does, including the Roosters themselves. <laughs> you know, the, the thing that we do know about them is the, they're devoid of a, of a true um, playmaking leader at the club at the moment. Obviously, um, Tedesco's um, mixed form has been very well noted this year. I, I won't touch on that. Um, there's been um, multiple half options used throughout the year. Um, beyond the game against us and maybe a moment or two against the Bulldogs um, um, the week previous, Luke Keery's been a real non-factor this year for them. Um, you, you, you look at the, the squad on paper, it's one of the strongest going round. This is not a club devoid of resources or access to anything. Uh, th- their form is one of the real mysteries of this year. And at this particular point in time, um, short of um, the Blues coming out and playing well and James Tedesco having a blinder and that kick-starting his season, uh, I don't really know where it's going to turn around for the Roosters because you know, wh- one of the things that I've enjoyed about playing them for the last couple of seasons, and you know, we've had some mixed results against them a- across that time, um, and they, they seem to save their best for us each, every time that we play them. But um, is is that we, we know that if we can pin them down and keep them inside their own 40, they don't have that big clearing kick option. You know, um, Sam Walker, who's played the majority of the games in the halves across across that period of time, very talented young player. He's, he's obviously um, out injured at the moment, but prior to that, dropped to reserve grade, um, told to work on some things. He's not a noted long, um, long distance kicker. He's not someone that chews up the um, the meters um, if if they have a bad offensive set. So you know that if you can contain them, you can work them over. And, and um, likewise, that um, you know if you could target some of those those smaller players that they do have, um, as we had done successfully at Combank Stadium last year when we raced out to that, uh, I think it was like a twenty eight nil lead or, or, some, or something to that effect when we hosted them. At Combank last year, um, you can you, you you can remove them out of the game pretty quickly, and I I I don't know where the road is back for them. They've got some players that have um, that have aged, um, and I don't want to write them off because this is this is a certainly a champion team and some players that have have reached the heights of rugby league, but. You know, we saw a couple of years ago when um, Boyd Corner had to make the decision to retire. Likewise, with um, with Nathan Friend, we're seeing some of those um, those other older boys. Now, I'm not suggesting that they're going to retire. Obviously, Jared Warrior Hargraves only just extended for another season, but you know, they're they're not quite as potent or the threat that they used to be. And teams are certainly starting to take it to them now. And you know, maybe those legs are a little bit older and heavier, and and you know, can't quite take that challenge being thrown to them every week the way they used to. Well, let me take what you're saying there, Clint, and throw it over to 40, because one of the things that used to be the strongest feature about Roosters' performances was that their systems worked. And even when they'd be down on troops and they'd have players coming in who, I mean, let's face it, they were a higher quality player than a lot of clubs are able to 
uh, field themselves normally in first grade, but they'd have they'd have some quality players who could fill in. But it was their systems, and particularly their defensive systems, that always seemed to stand them in good stead if they were if they were a little bit light on in in troops. And it was one of the great features of them as a as a contender club is that how competitive they would be even even without some big name players. But so, John, I wanted to throw this to you: is have their systems just not updated like they should? Are their players, as Clint has suggested, a year older and and therefore they're um, not able to produce what's needed for those systems anymore? Um, or is it a case of other clubs have improved so much and the Roosters haven't gone with them? Yeah. I don't think all their problems can be pointed at the spine, but a lot can. Um, you know, they've invested so many resources and they capped their Teddy, you know, highest paid fullback in the game or close enough. I know Tommy's up there as well. Um, Luke Keary, he's still on a marquee contract despite his gameplay starting to fade. And between Teddy and Keary being the two senior members of the spine and both their form dipping significantly in 2023, you start a conundrum. Throw it in with Brandon Smith being, uh, you know, it's too strong and too early to say he's a dud, but he certainly hasn't had the opening season as a roost that he would have hoped or the club would have hoped. He's been struggling massively not just of injury but you know middling form and then the big one I suppose in terms of the long term Sam Walker the you know the super rookie who had all the hype in the world exploded onto the the scene with that you know big uh, extravagant cutout passing game but he just hasn't developed and I know he's injured right now and that's you know obviously you know capped him from doing stuff in the in the current sort of situation but his game really hasn't taken any steps forwards not in game management not in long kicking not in just you know constructing different ways to attack an opposition defense, he still goes for the extravagant cutout pass. And teams are starting to cool into it. You've seen a few intercepts this year uh, when he was being picked. And when your spine is failing and, you know, you know, at multiple levels, it's difficult. They've still got a good forward pack. Um, it's not a great forward pack anymore. It's a good forward pack, and that's another thing. Rory Hargrave still, you know, still got some juice in the tank, but he's not the uh, sort of army of one he used to be. Uh, you know, we've got Lindsey Collins, who was a good forward. Uh, but after that, you know, Satili Tupanua, he's decent. Uh, Angus Crichton has been uh, away from the game for a bit for his um, other reasons. So, you know, they're just they're not they're not that good a team now. Like on paper they are, but they're not. It's one of those weird things. Um, okay, so uh, let's make a call now. Let's make a mid-season call. First of all, John, do the Roosters qualify for finals football? Mm, the it's going to be such a logjam in those final spots that they'll still have a chance. Uh, on their form, I don't think they should. So I'll say they won't, but I think it'll probably be closer than I'm giving it credit to because just of how congested the ladder is, uh, you know, you go on a run and win a few games and you can put yourself back in contention pretty quickly. Yeah, Clint, yes or no? Yeah, uh, like like John there, it, it's, it is going to be a congested table. And, you know, I dare say the minor premiers will probably have the most amount of losses this year that they've had. Um, since 2005 when the Eels won it with a 16 and 8 record. Um, so it, it certainly keeps them in the hunt, but I, I, I see them just fading out. I touched on that I, I have a play around with the ladder predictor. I, I see them just being on the periphery of that 8 and, you know, maybe they can get some good performances in and, and swing the four and against in their favour, but at this point, I see them just missing out. Well, I, I'm going to agree that I see them around right around the fringe of the ruck uh, of the of the eight um I'll, I'll i'll give them a nudge into it based on the fact that 
like failure just really isn't accepted down at Bondi. Um, and uh, regardless of whether they just scrape into the eight or just miss it, they're not going to threaten the competition and we can expect to be clean out at uh, Rooster Town. I would expect it's just not going to be regarded as good enough. Well, fellas, that brings us to the end of a jam-packed news podcast. And again, thank you to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf, at North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta. And a reminder also that we are there after the big game on Saturday at Combank Stadium. Come and see us for our instant reaction podcast up there in Jack's Bar and Grill. We try and make sure that we get there about and start about half an hour after the full-time siren. So we'll see you there. Come in for a drink, a feed, plenty of Parramatta talk. And fellas... Uh, Thank you. Uh, Thank you to our listeners for joining us tonight. And as I always say, go you mighty eels.